0: Today's reading is Matthew 8:23 Ma- to9 verse eight, which can be found on page 7,,89 on the church Bibles. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, "Lord, save us, We are going to drown." He replied, "'You of little faith, why are you so afraid?' Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Then the men were amazed and asked, "'What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him.' When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gardanes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. "'What do you want with us, son of God?' they shouted." Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from, the, from, a large herd of, some distance from them, a large herd of pigs were, was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down, from, down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, Went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the men, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat and go, go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Joshua. Uh, Every fourth Sunday, we have... Um, youth as part of our service and so they have been uh, leading the music and the prayer. It's a fantastic thing um, that we have youth among us and they're leading us in our worship together. Let's continue to pray for them and encourage them in their walk with Jesus, Uh, but let's pray that God will speak to us now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are God who speaks. We thank you that your words are powerful. Would it now shape our minds and shape our hearts uh, shape our faith, and shape our lives uh, that we might shine your light in this world that needs you desperately. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was in the middle of a big storm in an airplane uh, as we were going through this turbulence when, I th- when the thought occurred to me, whoa, maybe this is how I die. Have you gone through a turbulence like that, where it just lasts for a while? At its worst, we did one of these things, like the, the roller coaster thing, uh, where you know your guts feels like floating, and you're coming down, um, and, and, and just for a second or two, you're gravity free. And I thought, oh, maybe this is how I die. And everybody in that plane was completely out of their elements, right? Think about that. That people are not supposed to fly, and we were up there, 35,000 feet up high, going 508, uh, f- 508. 80 miles per hour. But how that how I felt, I imagine, is how the disciples felt. Israelites in general were completely out of their elements when they were at sea. The Bible describes the sea as a place of chaos, Uh, you know, where a place out of control. Uh, It's a place somewhere out there lived a Leviathan, the mythical sea creature. Uh, that threatened people. Only God, Psalmist says, controlled the sea. Psalmist, uh, Psalm 65, 7, we hear, You still the roaring of the sea, the roaring of their, wa- of their waves. And Sea of Galilee is actually a little lake. I mean, it's a big lake, but it's still a lake. But it felt plenty big to the Israelites. And the word that's translated as lake in verse 24, NIV translates it as lake, but it's really sea in Greek. And as it did often there, A a furious storm came over the Sea of Galilee, and waves are crashing into the boat, and some of the disciples were experienced fishermen, but they fear for their lives. In the air, I imagine my death in the comforts of the airplane, but think about being soaked in that cold water. Uh, The boats rocking back and forth and being almost tipped over. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And you know the story. He comes out of his slumber and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And they become completely calm. The Greek actually says mega calm. It's great calm. It's like as calm as maybe the, the, the glass. It's still. It becomes utterly still. The disciples were afraid before they were saved by Jesus, and now they're afraid for a completely different reason. By the way that Jesus saved them, they suddenly realize they're in the presence of somebody with the power that they couldn't have imagined, somebody who lives in a completely different plane of power from them, a power that they cannot understand. So they ask themselves, verse 27, what kind of a man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus has absolute power over nature. Who is this? Well, we get the answer in the next story. In the next story, although they might have questioned the source, when Jesus arrived at the, at the shore of Gadarene, the, um, the, the, the two demon-possessed men come from that part of the town where nobody went because these two men were so violent and they were overpowering. It was a dangerous place to go. But look at what these two men, these powerful men that everybody in the town feared do when they come, uh, uh, when they see Jesus from afar. They don't come to Jesus to pick a fight. What do they do? Verse 29. They completely concede their defeat. What do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? You see, the Bible doesn't present us with a dualistic worldview where actually evil is fighting against the good. That's not true. God is in absolute control. God allows these things to happen, but he is sovereign over all things. And more astonishingly, they recognize Jesus to be the Son of God. They recognize Jesus to be the one who will send them into the eternal torture. You know, the reason why they came, they come bowing down and they beg they beg to Jesus. Right? They they come to rec- they, 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 they recognize that Jesus is the one who will send them to this eternal torture. So they ask Jesus. They beg Jesus to send them into the herd of pigs. And Jesus only says one word in that entire story. Go. Cool. Like all things they obey, demons go into the pigs which are promptly killed, perhaps to show the men uh, that these demons will no longer have any power over them anymore, that they would never return. What it shows, Jesus shows absolute authority over not just this world, but over the evil spirits, over the spiritual realm. Now our third story looks like it's another healing miracle like we heard last week, but it highlights a different facet of Jesus' authority. These friends of the paralyzed man bring him on a stretcher so Jesus could heal him. And Jesus healed everybody who came to him with sickness thus far. But that's not what Jesus does. The first thing that Jesus says to this man is, Son, your sins are forgiven. Instead of healing him, that's what he says in chapter 9, verse 2. He does in that eventually heal the man, but look at the reason. The story highlights the reason why Jesus heals this man. In verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 6, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. That's why he heals this man. So to demonstrate that he can forgive sins, because remember, he said already, your sins are forgiven, but that's not, that's not something that he can demonstrate. So Jesus does something that he can demonstrate, which is healing the sick. But that order is important because the teachers of law would have understood that sinners cannot do miracles like this in God's name, right? Sinners cannot heal like this. And Jesus said, "I forgive your sin. And people think that he's a blasphemer, that he has sinned against God. And yet God is still, Jesus is able to still, uh, still heal this man, He's not a blasphemer. He is God. He is the Son of Man whom the whole world will come to worship. And he heals this man to show that he has the authority to forgive sins. Here's what Matthew wants you to know through these stories, that Jesus was not some great man. That's not what Jesus said about himself, and that's not, the, that's not what the disciples saw in him. He had absolute control over every living creature. He had absolute control over nature, the wind and the waves. He had absolute control, not just over in, uh, things of this world, but over the spiritual world. And he now shows that he can forgive sins, something that only God can do. That's why we're here today. We're not here to learn the philosophy, the way of Jesus. We're not here to, uh, to become better people. We're here because we're convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. A God who, with all that authority, died for us, for our sins, that we might receive new bodies and a new world when Jesus comes back. Again, we've come to worship him. We've come to say that we, we love him, that we want to be like him. That's why we are here today. And if you're still not yet a Christian, I want you to consider what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. Christianity, if false, is of, of no importance. But if it's true, of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If Jesus really is the Son of God and He walked on earth and He died for us, that's of infinite importance. It changes not just today but our eternity. And if He didn't, well, He was just another crazy man claiming to be God. What you cannot say about Jesus is that He was moderately important, that He was a good man. That's what Matthew wants us to know. But unfortunately, people didn't get it back then, and lots of people still don't get it now. And some people wondered in awe, as we saw in verse 27, 827, what kind of a man is this? We still see similar reaction, and we, we see a similar reaction at the end of the third miracle as well, in chapter 9, verse 8. They were filled with awe, and they praised God. But look, they praised God who had given such an authority to man. Yeah, they saw that no normal person could be, uh, sh- should be able to still the storm, but they cannot get themselves to say, maybe this is God. At the end of the third story, people are convinced, the crowd is convinced that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, but they do not go to the logical conclusion saying maybe this is the Son of God, this is God himself who has the authority to forgive sins. Even as people praise God, they show their misunderstanding of Jesus. And it still goes on today. Many still think that he's just a man. But then there are those who outright reject Jesus still because they can't fit him in to their religious system. The teachers of the law murmur to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Most Jewish people still say that about Jesus. Muslims do the same. God, of course, they say, cannot have children. Son of God, well, God cannot have children. There's only one God, it's Allah. It doesn't fit into their system. It doesn't matter that there's evidence that Jesus said these things, that he died and he, he rose again. Jesus cannot be God. But you don't have to be religious in these ways. You know, in this age of individualism, I think we all carry a sense of sort of our own religion in our hearts. And oftentimes, Jesus doesn't fit into our concept of who God should be, right? Do you know people who believe that we're generally good people, generally good people and cannot accept Jesus' teaching that we have rebelled against God so badly that actually we deserve God's wrath? That only way to be saved is by grace in Jesus alone. They can't fit that in, right? Do you know people who say they can't believe in God who allows suffering? Do you know people who reject Christianity because of its teaching on sexuality? Isn't that the same thing? They can't fit Jesus into their religious system. This fellow is blaspheming. And there are people who reject Jesus because of what it might cost them. Take a look at the people of Gadarenes, how they reacted to Jesus in chapter 8, verse 33. Read that carefully those tending the sheep attending uh, the pigs ran off went into the town and reported all this including what had happened to the demon possessed men i don't know if you heard that they reported all this what was their concern they reported what happened to the pigs how jesus drove the pigs into the lake and how pigs started float and uh, dead right and then they add that little bit and also the thing about the possessed men Right? If you're unconvinced that the pigs are their paramount concern, see what they do next in verse 34. The whole town went to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded, him, pleaded with him to leave the region. You know, they're completely unconcerned about the remarkable fact that these two men's lives were transformed. They're completely unconcerned about the man who uttered one word, Go! to defeat the evil spirits. They're con- unconcerned about Jesus himself, who Jesus is. They didn't they don't ask any questions of Jesus. They have come to Jesus for one reason, to beg for him to leave the town. Why? Well, because they lost their pigs. They lost their investment. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They beg Jesus to leave. They don't want to lose any more money. Money got in the way. Friends, I wonder if we would follow Jesus if it cost us something great. Are we Christians who say to Jesus, are we, are we people who say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I don't want to give up anything. I want to live my life the way that I want to live it. I don't want you to touch anything that is important to me. The scariest thing about Jesus' response is this. In chapter 9, verse 1, what does Jesus do at this request? He leaves. He leaves the town. He gets on the boat and goes to the other side of the town, never to return to Gadarenes. That's scary, isn't it? And all these people, in some ways, aren't moved into the right action because they don't understand the most important thing about Jesus, which is that he is the son of God. None of them recognized who Jesus is. But actually, there is a group of people who recognize Jesus' identity, right? It's in the second story. People who are possessed by the demons. They see exactly from the very beginning who Jesus is. Son of God who will come to judge the living and the dead. Son of man whom the whole world will worship. There's no ambiguity in their minds about who Jesus is. But there's a warning there for us as well because they show us that actually knowledge is not faith. Knowing who Jesus is is not the same thing as obeying him, crowning him as our Lord. We call Jesus Lord, Lord. But that must mean that we follow Jesus as our Lord. And of course, we'll never be able to follow Jesus perfectly. That's what Jesus came to do. That He came to obey God perfectly and die for us. But, as Luther wrote, we're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Faith that saves is never alone. If we have faith in Jesus, if we trust Jesus as our Lord, there must be some fruit of obedience, that must be Christianity. If false, is of no importance. If if it if it if true, of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. Well, what difference does knowing Jesus make in our life? What kind of difference should that make for us? Well, we see in Jesus' rebuke to the disciples how we are to respond. Chapter 8, verse 26, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Many uh, psychologists point to fear as being the biggest motivator. When you fear something, you're moved into action. You know, when I was in high school, I feared being, um, uh, I feared being a nerd, <laughs> so I started playing sports, although I was only able to play nerdy sports like cross-country. I, I don't know if you run cross-country. It's a very cool sport. Um, it didn't do anything to uh, better my reputation. Um, I fear of looking dumb when I first moved to the U.S. Like, I couldn't actually speak. I was literally dumb. And so I studied English. Like, you know, I started memorizing like dictionaries in order to be able to uh, speak English. Because that, that was a fear. I don't, I don't want to be known as this dumb kid. Fear is a great motivator, but it often overtakes us. It controls us. What fear controls you? Not getting into right schools, not getting the right job, being single, not being promoted, not being, uh, being poor in Hong Kong, not being able to afford our future. Knowing Jesus should make fearless. It should make us fearless. We have no need to fear sickness or death. As we saw last week, Jesus, who is in control, will heal those whom he wants to heal. And he will heal all of us when he comes back. We need not fear evil spirits. Jesus will come and judge them and throw them into hell where they belong. And He is in absolute control over them even today. We do not fear even our sins, that we think that we're unforgivable somehow. Jesus forgave this paralytic man's sin uh, sins. You know that He didn't have great faith. He was there, and God forgive Jesus forgave His sins. And because Jesus died for us, He is just, and He will forgive us our sins as we come to Him. But of course. I want to talk about the storm. We need not fear the storm, the turbulent circumstance in which we find ourselves. Many are afraid for the future of our city. We fear losing our identity as Hong Kongers becoming just another city in China. Many fear coming of the authoritarian government. Companies fear losing profits in this political climate. So everybody acts out of fear. And there are, of course, those who say they're not afraid. They're not even afraid of dying. They will give themselves for this political cause. But what I see in them is that their fear for their future is greater than their fear for death. I still see fear. Christians, we are different people. We need not fear anything. We, ne- we don't need to be afraid of anything. We don't need to be afraid of China. We have a king who sits on the throne, who laughs at the plotting of the nations. We have a God who can drive away the troops with one word, go. We have a God whose foolishness is greater than wisdom. We have Jesus uh, with all the authority of heaven and earth, It has been given to Him and He has sent us out into the world and He rules over this city. He rules over the world. He has saved it. So we don't have to. And I'm not saying this to discourage you from political activism. I'm not that. But I am saying, whatever we do, fear must not be our motivation for our action. What motivation should there be for our actions? We must act out of love. Love, because we're people who are bought by the love of Jesus, who are moved by the love of Jesus, who are sent out by the love of Jesus into the world. And what difference that would make if we're motivated that by that love? If Christian protesters went out, not because they feared for their future, not because they uh, are afraid but because they were out to love those who have been hurt, for those who long for justice. But not only that, we go above and beyond. Love even for those whom we find unlovable. Isn't that why we are sent out into the world? To love indiscriminately, to offer Jesus' forgiveness indiscriminately. Isn't that the biggest political act that we can give to the world? What difference it would be if Christian police acted not out of fear, but out of love of God. what difference it would make for the politicians if they didn't act out of fear, but out of love for God, out of love for Hong Kong. Church, rather than simply shouting and blaming, our city needs Christians to be Christians. Christians who, with the authority of Jesus on our side, who are sent out to be fearless, to be Christ-like in everything that we do, no matter which side of the spectrum you are in, Christ is with us, and we need not fear. What kind of a man is this? He's not a man like us. He is the Son of God with authority of heaven and earth. Let's trust Him. Let's be distinct and be like Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to You because You are the One with authority of heaven and earth who rules over this this church, over this city, over the world. Lord, Would you help us not to fear the opinions of other people? Lord, would you help us to be Christians? Christians who fear you, who love you and you only. And Lord, help us to be people who are different. Different so that the world may see that there is another way. There is a different kingdom. That politics is not the ultimate power, but that you are. Lord, would you transform us? Would you change us? when this city needs you and city needs the the, the light of Christ the most. Make us fearless. Help us to love indiscriminately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.